The thing about it is love is the fulfillment of all religion. Love is the essence of all religion. Love is the fulfillment of philosophy and mysticism and ethics. And when you tap into love, when you tap into the experience of the divine, you transcend differences of beliefs and ritual and doctrine because that's not what is ultimately important. Truth, and this was the shift for me, which has a lot to do with the shifts I explained in our church. Truth is not conceptual. And truth is not something that we can ever totally grasp through concepts and through words. Truth is experiential. Truth is love. And God is love. So to know God is to love God. Hey there, everybody. How are you doing? It's the middle of April. And so I want to try to do something a little different from now and through the end of the year. So interspersed throughout the year, I want to have conversations with people that are not necessarily Christian and see what we can learn about God from a lens that isn't ours and a perspective that isn't ours. And I thought a good way to start that would be uh, with my friend Danny Prada, who is regularly doing things in an interfaith way with people of other faiths, leading worship, being involved in those worship services. And I've loved watching it from afar. I really liked this conversation. Danny brings a lot to the table. I love what he talks about, about what we have together in common, why love matters. And so I'm Seth. This is the Can I Say This at Church podcast. And let's do this thing. Almost Dr. Danny Prada. Welcome back to the show, man. <laughs> How are you doing? Thank you. Good, good. Happy to be with you, man. Yeah, good. I'm glad you're back. Before I get into what I want to talk about today, we just talked about a minute ago, and I edited it out already, but it's it's still there for other people to hear. So yeah, what have you been up to in the last, let's say two years, because I feel like rounding up. Why not? Like, what is What is yeah. new for you? Last couple of years, what have we been doing? A lot. I mean, Heartway, our community is flourishing. It's doing very well. We've definitely taken a, a, a very uh, sharp turn towards the contemplative path and the inner journey of self-discovery. And that's something that has become a, a, a focus for me in my life and, and also something that that our community has been centered on. Um, my wife and I have been working on doing different retreats for people that can take them on, on these immersive experiences where they can get to know themselves at a deeper level and come to understand uh, life at a deeper level. I'm working on my doctorate, mm-hmm. finishing that up at a Fuller Theological Seminary. So my uh, demon as of now is a contemplative approach to self-discovery through spiritual community at Heartway. So I get to kind of (laughs) use Heartway as a little guinea pig for uh, some of the stuff I want to write about in that project. So yeah, just been doing a lot, but all things that I love and that I'm passionate about. So it's been, it's been good. It's been fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to write about what you know, right? 
Exactly. Exactly. I want to talk about that a bit. Um, I didn't expect you to say that. So what does that look like to do that as a church community? Because I think most communities, most churches, uh, you show up on Sunday, you go home, you come back next Sunday, and yay, we did mm-hmm. we, we did church. So like, what is that? Mm-hmm. Like, walk me through what that looks like for for your community to, to, to do faith in a contemplative way. Yeah, so we started by implementing centering prayer on a weekly basis at Heartway. And so I use centering prayer as like a really big umbrella term, not necessarily um, in the same exact way that it's been used by practitioners of centering prayer like Thomas Keating. Uh, I'm using that as an umbrella term at Heartway to just kind of describe the experience of um, meditation and silence and not to spook people in the process, you know? So if it has prayer in it, some people feel a little bit better. But it is prayer. It is centering prayer for us and it's what we're doing. So every week there's someone else who comes and talks about centering prayer and leads the, the community in an experience of that. Uh, and then alongside of that, we have been doing these wonderful little groups called Circles of Trust. And these Circles of Trust, we uh, borrowed this approach from Parker Palmer. He wrote a book called A Hidden Wholeness. Mm -hmm. And the beauty about these Circles of Trust is that they're intended to create a safe space for people to be able to explore their inner life and and share their emotions and be vulnerable uh, without the fear of being judged in the process. And so when we gather every week for, for those Circles of Trust, there are certain guidelines that kind of protect that space. And so we uh, tell people that there's no fixing, there's no saving, there's no over-spiritualizing, there's no correcting. We ask people to speak from their center to the center of the circle, uh, meaning use I statements instead of you statements. Mm. And when you speak, speak from your own experience, uh, not necessarily telling someone else what they need to or should do. Uh, And we tell them that silence is actually a part of the group. Silence is a member of the group. And so we don't treat silence awkwardly. We welcome silence. We don't feel, we don't necessarily feel the pressure to fill in the silence with words. And so with that emphasis that we are placing on, on silence and mindfulness and stillness and meditation, uh, the goal is that hopefully this would carry into the everyday life of our of our people so that eventually it's not just spending 10 minutes in centering prayer, but all of life becomes the prayer. So how long have you been doing that? So we started doing this September of, or actually it was August of 2019. So what, as, as a pastor, you know, looking at each individual circle or group or you just, just fill, fill in the room. Like, what has been a shift like for the for the like these many months in so that's what four or five months has there been mm-hmm. and have you noticed any any shift in in just the mindset of the congregation oh absolutely especially because my journey spiritually has been filled with so many ups and downs over the last 5 6 years since i started heartway i i began as a member of the Southern Baptist Convention mm. and our church was getting funding from Southern Baptist churches and other reformed communities as well. Uh, I moved from that sort of fundamentalism into uh, a progressivism, which was a wonderful 
uh, eye-opening experience for me where I was introduced to a whole new world of scholarship. However, what I recognized about myself was that for a while, I still was teaching and communicating in a way that made it seem like information and knowledge was the primary thing and the transference of that information and knowledge. So now I wasn't teaching conservative evangelical doctrine uh, as the one truth, uh, but I was teaching progressive doctrine as the one truth. And anybody who disagrees with me about that is on the wrong side. And I became the problem that I saw in front of me. Yeah, I think often all of those years. Yeah, Yeah. I do that all the time, myself included. A lot of people do. You just switch one fundamentalism for the other. It does. It's it's this. It's still fundamentalism, right? You know. And so that's. I had just realized that it was still about knowledge and information for me. I I still figured out. I mean, I still believed in my mind that I could figure out God in my head. Hmm. You know, and have that all nailed down. <laughs> so, like my my dad, for example, I I talk to him a lot. He's uh, very close to me and a, a, a big part of our community. He's there every weekend, and he's in the lives of many folks. And I'll, I'll never forget a conversation I had with him when he said, "Danny, it's so good that you teach us to be open minded, and you show us a lot of different ways of interpreting the text, and you." share with us many different theological viewpoints, he said. But at some point, I have to have something that I can build my life on. I have to have a foundation that I can build my life on. And the idea that there's just many different ways of looking at things and that no way is necessarily the one right way uh, can probably leave people more confused if you don't go deeper than that. Yeah. And so what I realized was that foundation is what was missing. It was the, um, the experiential foundation of life with God that was missing from the equation because we think knowing God is knowing things about God instead of loving God and experiencing God in everyday life. Yeah. So that shift has helped to provide like, a sturdy ground, an anchor, a center for people to to base their life off of that has nothing to do with doctrine or belief or theology. And we still theologize. I still love theology. And I still throw tidbits of cool information in my messages sometimes. But uh, theology is a means to an end, you know, and the end is is life with God and 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 uh, union with everything. One of my good friends, he always says, anytime we start talking about theology, he'll just say, you know, we made all this up. So, like all this theology, like we yeah. made all this, like I'm excited for you. Yay. Right. But we right. made, we made this up. Um, yeah. Which yeah. And, makes me laugh. And, and the best, the best theologians at the end of the day are those who say everything that I've said, take it. With a grain of salt, you know, because we really don't know what we're talking about. So I called you 
what has it been a couple months, month? I don't know. A couple weeks ago. Um, because one of the things that I see you do specifically on social media is, um, you're invited to these, uh, gatherings that have Christians mm-hmm. that have Jewish, have Muslim, have all different faiths, all different walks of life. And y'all will come together and you will worship together. And I assume everybody preaches or everybody teaches or everybody praise. I don't know what that looks like. And so I wanted to do one thing this year, and that is kind of view God through a lens that isn't mine. Um, and I don't really have that ability, uh, at least not readily accessible. However, you get invited to these things and you get to participate in that. Yep. And so um, that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you a bit about is mm-hmm. that, like, what does that look like? What have you learned, etc. So at those gatherings, can you kind of paint a picture for like what that is looking like, like kind of what the purpose of a gathering like that is and kind of how you approach it and maybe what you walk away with? Wow. Yeah. Well, some of the most impactful experiences that I've had over the last couple of years doing ministry have been in those interfaith, multi-faith contexts and not even just like interfaith services Mm -hmm. that I've been a part of, Mm -hmm. uh, which been a part of um, a lot of interfaith things that have been very meaningful to me, but not even just the the services that I've been a part of, but also like the lunches that I do and the dinners that I have over people's homes mm-hmm. and the phone calls and the outreach events that I've been able to partner with others doing. And I've gone to Morocco and Abu Dhabi with rabbis and imams and pastors from all over the United States and abroad uh, for different multi-faith movements and things of that sort. So there's so much I can say. Ultimately, I would say the one thing that I get out of those gatherings every time that I go is just such a uh, such a a hope for the future. Hmm. Such a such a hope for the future. I feel such a deep sense of camaraderie and true brotherhood with others. Sometimes it even feels like my connection with those from other faiths can be deeper than the ones I have with those of my own. Hmm. Sometimes it feels like they can understand me better because we focus on what we have as similarities and we honor and respect and are curious about our differences within Christianity it's not really like that. We don't focus on our similarities, those of us from different streams and traditions. And we definitely don't honor or appreciate much of our differences across denominational and ecclesial lines. More often than not, at least on my Twitter feed (laughs) and on Facebook, it seems like everybody's just, it's a huge food fight, you know, and we're all throwing rocks at each other. And so, Every religion does this. You know, the Muslims have that same issue and the Jews have that same issue. And it's not that we're unique or that our religion is any better or worse because of that. But the point is when you when you move beyond those like tribal bounds and you start seeing how similar others are to you, it's beautiful. And I'll never forget one of the first multi-faith 
uh, gatherings that I was a part of, they were they were bringing together uh, these triads of imams, rabbis, and pastors. And so there was another imam and another rabbi from the South Florida area that was selected along with myself to go to this like cohort for a couple of days. And we really got to know each other. And then from that experience, we came back home to start our initiatives with our congregants. And in this cohort experience, we got to tell each other our conversion stories and we got to talk about our callings uh, to do ministry. And there were so many similarities. There were so, so many things that we held in common about how we got into a life of faith mm. and what our faith means to us and how we want to give back to the world. It, it, it was just so beautiful. So obviously there's this like, there's this unity that's undergirding all the multiplicity and the diversity that we're seeing in and through these different religions. It's just a matter of getting deep enough in your religion to tap into that stream that is flowing through all of them. Hmm. And so what I have found is that all religions have a mystical dimension and a prophetic dimension. And the mystical dimension and the prophetic dimension of religions are where we can unite. So Marcus Borg, who was one of my favorite uh, scholars, he, he talked about the fact that every religion has an external form and an internal core. So the external form of our religions are things like our doctrines, our rituals, our sacred texts. That's where we're gonna have the most differences and distinctions. And those differences and distinctions matter and we should never minimize them and we should seek to learn from one another. However, once you move beyond the external form of religion into the internal core, all of the religions share a lot of similarities because the internal core of all religion is essentially about the experience of the transcendent, the experience of the sacred, union with God, with reality. So the mystical dimension of religion is what highlights that. And so this is where love and interconnectedness and present moment awareness becomes the focus. And so we have this big time in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, mm-hmm. the Hesychia, who focused on stillness and silence and quieting the mind through the spiritual practices of watchfulness and the Jesus prayer, which is like the repetition of a, of a mantra, the prayer of the heart. Uh, obviously, in the Roman Catholic side of our tradition with many of the monastics. And love is essentially where all of it culminates. And love is what unifies the mystical dimension, which is about the inner journey, and the prophetic dimension of religion, which is about the collective healing of Mm. the world. Mm -hmm. And love is the the word and the energy and the power that I like to speak of that unifies all of it. Because we, we can't have peace in the world without peace in our heart. So the the inner and the outer belong together. The thing about it is love is the fulfillment of all religion. Love is the essence of all religion. Love is the fulfillment of 
philosophy and mysticism and ethics. And when you tap into love, when you tap into the experience of the divine, you transcend differences of beliefs and ritual and doctrine because that's not what is ultimately important. Truth, and this was the shift for me, which has a lot to do with the shifts I explained in our church. Truth is not conceptual. And truth is not something that we can ever totally grasp through concepts and through words. Truth is experiential. Hmm. Truth is love. And God is love. So to know God is to love God. And so hopefully somehow all of this. <laughs> and I know I totally moved away from the first question you asked me. another question sure so you you use a metaphor and I, and I ask it because part of my in the back of my head I'm always trying to ask okay so um, you know I've spent years listening to you weekly yours is one of the epi- one of the you're, you're preaching and your church is preaching because it's not always you um, is is one of the ones that I listen to weekly um, awesome. yeah I enjoy it um, I get a lot out of it in fact I was listening to hold on I'll tell you what I was listening to earlier today um, I've actually listened to it a few times where are you at hardway hardway come here to me um energy in motion that whole series there right around right before christmas i like that entire yeah so um so when you use metaphors like streams and there's shared truths and focusing on what we share in common a lot of people that are listening to this um even though i often push the envelope or the boundaries of what's considered orthodox and try to stretch people they're going to be like yeah i can't do it like there's i can't do it like i don't want to i can't do it and so how would what would you advise to somebody what do you mean you you can't do what like i'll hear people i've heard it uh, today you know what you can't say that um, you know, when I'm hearing you say that, it's almost like people are afraid that if they hear a truth in an Islamic tradition or in a Buddhist tradition or a Hindu tra- tradition, and you're like, oh, that sounds right. a lot like Jesus, but somehow that takes away from Jesus right. or it makes right. the Bible, quote unquote, less true or which in makes my faith less true. And then, oh, no, what do I do? The house is on fire. And so. If someone's hearing well, you say that about, you know, this, that, and the world, other, and all, all religion boils down, truth. you know, to love. There aren't, like, what, different what, kinds of What would you say to truth. someone if they walked up to truth you after? Truth you And know, so wherever you find after truth. After listening to this or listening to a sermon, and they're like, what do I do with that, Danny? Like, I don't know what to do with that because I go home to Jesus, but also um, I'm hearing truths and other things. Or that guy that you brought or the guy that you told a story about, that sounds a lot like X, Y, or Z but that's an entirely different faith tradition. So what would you say to someone with that? Mm-hmm. It's a good thing to honor it there. And regardless of the vehicle of truth, if truth is being communicated, truth is being communicated. 
So it usually helps when talking to folks like that who are very loyal and faithful to their particular tradition to show them how even within our Christian scriptures, we have truth that is brought in from outside sources. Hmm. So, for example, obviously our entire Bible contains the Hebrew scriptures that are primarily belonging to another religion. Mm -hmm. So right there, even just the fact that we don't only have a New Testament, but we also build upon the Hebrew scriptures shows you the inclusive nature of, of Christianity. Alongside of that, even if you look in the Bible, in places like John chapter one, when the author uses the concept of the Logos, which was a Greek concept that was then appropriated and used to express Christian concepts yeah. and truth. Uh, if you go to the book of Jude in the New Testament, Jude quotes the book of First Enoch, mm. which is not in our Bible, but it's a book that was respected by ancient Jews. And so the Bible quotes it. Yeah. So is that line, is only that line from the book of Enoch? <laughs> <laughs> ultimate truth you know what i'm saying like you can't <laughs> so uh even in act 17 another one that came to me just now when paul quotes one of the one of the poets when he says even one of your poets are the ones that said in him we live and move and have our being and we are all his offspring so even the scriptures quote sources outside of themselves for truth hmm. so maybe showing this person how the bible itself and we can also go down christian history talking about how we have incorporated truth from other places and made it our own yeah because ultimately again people who are scared to let go in this way are still thinking and believing that it's their conceptions of God in their head that ultimately matter. What ultimately matters, at least to Jesus, is the experience of God in and through love. Hmm. The way Paul says it in the book of Galatians is faith working itself out through love. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think our beliefs are always going to be evolving and changing depending on our context and our current access to knowledge. Uh, however, the, the, the one thing that, that we always go back to that is unchanging is the presence of God within. If you can think back on these events that you've gone to and, and what has been uh, if you were honest that you sat back and you showed up and you're like, Ooh, I don't know anything about this. Like of all of my study, I just haven't really made my way to this religion or that religion or whatever that is. And, you know, and so as you're sitting there listening and you're like, this will be good. I'm going to learn something today. What would kind of be that religion? And what did you learn where you're sitting back and you're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't. Yeah. You know, I, 
I actually was surprised at my interaction with a lot of my Muslim friends hmm. and how it seemed like some of them had a more merciful and compassionate depiction of God than, than a lot of Christians I know. Hmm. And that was, that was a shocker to me. That was the shocker to me. I wish I could remember this story that my imam friend had told me about God's love and, and hell but it's slipping my mind now. <laughs> but I heard this little parable that my imam friend told me, and it was essentially about the fact that God's love will never stop reaching out to human beings, regardless of their constant resistance. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, man, that is such a beautiful way to talk about and conceive of God that for Christians, for many Christians would be considered blasphemous, mm. you know? So I had, I had that, that experience, which was, um, which was really interesting too. You know, I had, a just to take this in another direction, just cause this came to me, there was a, 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 a female rabbi that I had met as well, who she had told me that when she was in Israel and she would walk around with her, um, Gosh, what do you call the... Uh, yeah, the cap. It's like a... Yeah. Yeah, the... Is it a yarmulke? Sounds right. I'm not sure. Sounds right. But she learned that, and she was walking around, and she said that elderly men spit on her. What? Because it seemed like uh, such a blasphemous thing that a woman hmm. would learn that and consider herself to be a rabbi. And it was stories like that that really touched me. You know, and especially myself, like I've been tempted a lot to sometimes be like, do I really want to continue to do this with Christianity as my vehicle? Hmm. Just because of all the baggage that comes with being a part of this. But being around people like her who remain faithful because their symbols and their texts and their traditions mean something so deep and personal to them that they're willing to kind of put up with those things as a part of the cost that's in, that's inspired me so much hmm. you know to 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 remain rooted because ultimately too you can get to a point where you just you're so open-minded and progressive that you can't fit into anything because nobody agrees with all of your Hmm. find points of <laughs> truth and doctrine you yeah. know and the same with, with with conservative fundamentalists yeah you know so yeah yeah i um i always have to caution myself so i'm I'm constantly and i think you must be the same i'm i'm always reading four or five books at a time and so i often have to guard what i'm reading because i find that i will make my own systematic theology but it really only is based on what I'm reading at the moment. And so I'll have to put everything aside for a few weeks, detox from all of it and be like, Oh, that's right. I, yeah. I there's God, my fault. Yeah. I got a little bit egotistical and that's, that's on me. That's on me. Yeah. It helps so that my yeah. wife kind of will course correct me. Like, I don't know what you're talking about right now, but that doesn't sound right. I don't know what you're doing. But that doesn't sound I love right. It. There's a teacher by the name of Muji and 
he says, if you have a choice between being a theologian or a saint, be a saint. <laughs> His yeah, point is something. like, right? Like what, what are we doing here? Yeah. And why? And what's the purpose and the point? And that's also what I realized too, like with theology, like so much of what I thought was theologizing in the past was just me repeating what other people said about God, as opposed to speaking from my own experience of God in conversation with others and their experience too. Yeah. And there's a reason why so many of the monastics would say, you can't be a theologian if you don't pray. Right? Mm. Like if you don't actually have a, a life with God, if you don't actually walk with God, then what could you ever possibly say about God? You know? And um, and I've seen I've seen so many people from other faiths who uh, just their presence so calming and so peaceful that has really spoken to me in powerful ways, powerful ways. So you're married. So what has been the biggest change as you're um, seeing truths in other faiths? How has that impacted the way that you, you know, your marriage works or has it at all? I think so often, like, you know, you have an, or at least I did, I had an idea of, uh, well, I was extremely uh, fundamentalist when I got married as well. So my idea of marriage has shifted quite a bit as mm-hmm. my faith has shifted. Um, mm-hmm. Like, how is, has that impacted at all the way that you? Well, no, you know, I, my, my wife has always been on a very different path mm-hmm. than I in terms of her relationship with religion and Christianity and faith and spirituality, I think our, our paths began to intersect a lot more about a year and a half ago. Hmm. But I would say my interactions and our interactions with people of other faiths and my openness to other traditions has, has enhanced our relationship in a lot of ways, because um, it's just given us a lot more to talk about and consider. And a lot of the Christian stuff that doesn't necessarily connect with her anymore, mm-hmm. you know, but still connects with me, that sometimes, you know, can be a thing. So to be able to connect over other stories and parables, you know, like for example, when we went to Thailand a couple of years ago, you know, my wife came back saying like, I think I'm a Buddhist. She's like, I think I'm a Buddhist. I love, (laughs) I love this, you know? And ever since that experience, I, I took a deep, a deep dive into the teachings of Zen Buddhism. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also uh, gleaned a lot from and learned a lot from uh, a, a Roman Catholic theologian who also has a dual religious affiliation, considers himself a, a, a Buddhist Christian or Christian Buddhist. Paul Nitter. Yeah, Paul's great. Yeah, who used to, uh, did, was he on the podcast? Yeah, yeah, we talked about, um, and we, yeah, Paul, yeah, yeah, he was, yeah. that's one of my okay. favorite episodes. Yeah, he's, yeah. He, he, Paul's great. Yeah, so, so that has, the, um, that, that has very much just, you know, given us a whole new way of, 
talking and relating to each other. So it's been positive. It's been, it's been very good. I usually can visually see everybody for all the years that I've done this. For the most part, most of them are like this. I just wasn't recording the video, but Paul's is one of the few that when I was done, I was like, man, I should have been recording that because, and I'll move the mic a bit. Like he would do this, Danny, this is just for the people listening at home. Um, he would go, he would be like, no, and so he's just so animated and i'm like man it's like he's it's I like he's it. rooting for a, like a base like he's like no a home run we did it you know he's just so pat compassionate just so yeah so it's, it's so much good um okay so fuller for the most part from what i understand of fuller is more not uh, what's the word i want to say how do you go to a school like Fuller and they'd be like, yeah, cool, Danny, let's talk about all the other faiths to get a divinity doctorate from yeah. Fuller. How does that sit with a school like Fuller? Cause I know like they're not Oral Roberts, but they're also not like do whatever you want to yeah. do. I don't know. I don't know. You didn't ask. I don't, really know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't live there in Pasadena. Uh-huh. I don't have too many interactions other than with, the professors that I get to choose to be mine because Mm -hmm. I pick the track where I get to choose my professors. From my experience, my class setting has always been very diverse and ecumenical. Mm -hmm. And there have been people from all different streams of Christian thought and faith and practice. So there has been an open-mindedness on that. And then also, you know, they have um, several people come in to do classes and courses that are uh, on the same wavelength really? to some extent. So I don't know what the deal is. Cause I know Fuller technically still considered like an evangelical yeah. seminary, but, yeah. but they're definitely more uh, open. That's cool. Just was curious. Yeah. In the back yeah. of my brain, when you said Fuller earlier, I was like, really? Huh? Yeah. yeah. Huh. Thankfully everything's worked out. It's been a great experience. I've yeah. loved it. Yeah. Um, so Final, just one last question, because I know I've got you up later than I think that you usually like to stay up. I'm a night owl. I'll be up till midnight just to to wind down. Doing these energizes me, so I'll have to I'll have to wind down. Um, so it's a question that I'm asking everyone specifically because I want to dive into other faiths. But the question I'm asking everyone is: When you, Danny, say God or the divine or whatever you want to call whatever metaphor you'd like to try to use. What are you actually saying? Like if you ha- you you're sitting across from someone, you're having a beer, you're having a coffee, you're having whatever, and you're like, no, listen, listen, listen. When I say God, here's what I'm actually saying. What is that? Reality. God is reality. When I say God is reality, what I'm saying is that everything that happens happens as it should. Hmm. And anytime I argue with that, I suffer. When I accept and embrace what is, when I accept and embrace reality as a gift from God and as God's very self, I experience peace because Mm -hmm. that's what it means to surrender my will to God's will. And so God is what is. God is reality. God is in everything and in everyone. And God is what we are. And so, and then also on top of that, God is 
when I use it, even just that word is a metaphor right? for something. And it's a word that points to something that is beyond words. It's an experience of connectedness with the present moment and with life and with nature and with self. That's, that's God. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm aware of how yeah. small, hypothetical small that question is. Um, it's no, it's a great question. I've really enjoyed it. I really should have come up with a question for the year every year I've done this because I've been, I've enjoyed bouncing from A to B to C to D to I don't know how many times I've asked that question now. So um, it's been fun. Um, Danny, wh- where, where do you want people to go? Not where should people go, but if people want to kind of dig into you, where do you want people to go? Because um, if they if they follow you on Facebook, they're going to see you auditioning in Paris for like model shots, which I'm jealous of. Uh, not the model shots, but just the Paris. Um, you know, so depending on what avenue they choose to find you at, I feel like they're going to see yeah. a different aspect of you. So where do you want people to go to kind of dive into a bit of you? Well, any any platform on social media. I'm not really much on Twitter these days, but Facebook and, and Instagram, mm-hmm. Danny Prada, you can find me on there. But in terms of what, I, what I'm doing and my content, mm-hmm. I'm a local pastor who preaches sermons every Sunday. And I put a lot of love and time into my sermons. So uh, Heartway Church has a podcast and people can tune in there every week to hear um, what's happening in our community. Yeah. I would I would recommend that. I don't listen I listen to two to three church sermons. Um, yours is one, my pastor's is one as well. And then the other one I don't I don't I don't feel like advertising. I just listen to it because I, I, I need I need ten percent coming into my head that infuriates me, keeps me honest. And so I don't feel like advertising it, but I do listen to it. I'm honored, dude. I'm glad. Yeah. Glad it could be helpful to you. Thank you again for coming on, Danny. I appreciate it. You got it, dude. You got it. It was great. So I want to start doing something a little bit different. I've said this so many times. This show is literally happening because of the patron supporters of the show. So I have a request. If you have never considered supporting the show, please do so now. If you are able, if you are not able, don't even worry about it. If you have somewhere between two bucks a month, three bucks a month, consider supporting the show. There are multiple tiers there. And you'll get different things with the different tiers. Some people get to see the videos of each episode that are recorded. Other people get different blog posts. Uh, You can get discounts on the store merchandise, all kinds of things. However, here is the reason why. Many of you know that I've been transcribing all of the episodes. Uh, And that is because there are people that have a hard time hearing, period. And that does not mean that they are excommunicated from being a part of these conversations. And so... I would like to say that nobody read those and that when I put them up on the website, it wasn't worth the effort. And that's wrong. Uh, It is one of the most popular parts of the website and they're constantly being linked back to from other places on the internet. But I need your help. The cost of doing the transcripts as of, I think, April 15th actually went up a bit and need your help with that. So I want to start doing two things. I want to start recognizing people when they come on for support on the show for Patreon. And so we will do that in a minute. And then I would ask a few of you, whatever you're able to do, I I have a goal. I'd like to end 
maybe by September at 100 patrons if we could do that. So as of today, we're at 53. And so I'm going to give a shout out to new patrons of the show as they pop through. And hopefully every week, this would just end up being a longer and longer list. A big thank you to Michelle Snyder, to Steve Murray, and to Joshua Ruberg. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And I cannot wait for possibly next week to throw out a few more shout outs on the show. I hope that you are all being safe, that you are blessed, and I'll talk to you next week.